We're back. Double cover. Double cover. Double cover. Mama, we made it. The network picked us up. We're like established. We, we need the signs that says like clap, cheer, laugh. J-Mac here. D-Mac to the right. Welcome to Double Coverage. Mama, we made it. What's up, everybody? Jason McCordy here. Devin McCordy on the other side of me. Welcome to another episode of Double Coverage with the McCordy Twins. You guys know where you can find us. YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, your favorite podcast streaming sites. Double coverage with the McCourty Twins. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And as always, you can find us on social media at McCourty Twins, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all of that good stuff. We're going to give you guys a behind the scenes look of NFL players, fathers, brothers, all of that good stuff. Deb, how you doing? Welcome to my show. Uh, no, this is not really your show, but I'm doing well today as well as I can be. And I, and I don't know if you guys can see that a little bit, but imagination uh, agency. Uh, we have a special guest, uh, formerly known as Martellus Bennett, a.k.a. Marty. His name has changed. We will let him get into his new name and all of that. The most creative guy uh, I've ever played with and also the guy that talks the most nonsense that I've ever played with. Uh, welcome to the show, Marty Bennett, man. What's up? Uh, I guess you should let the people know your new name. Well, first of all, it's only nonsense until you understand it, right? <laughs> when you don't understand it, it sounds like nonsense. But once you get it, it's not nonsense. So, yeah, so I've been so, in a, you know, as you, as you grow through life, you know, you have these different phases and these different names that represent you, what I do, depending on where I am in life. And I got a new company that I'm launching next year called Tomonoshi. And I am Mr. Tominoshi. It's like my Willy Wonka. It's my ultimate character, my final form. In some ways, my final form for now, because I'm pretty sure I'll change again in several years from now. But uh, I just came out of a cocoon, you know, and now I'm a, I was a caterpillar. Now I'm this big, bold, beautiful, beautiful butterfly. That, that is awesome right there. Um, so let's get into a little bit of you just in general. Uh, do you mind just taking us back to your upbringing? We know you grew up in Houston, Texas. Um, and just talk about growing up in Houston and the impact that had uh, on you as a person and overall uh, of the journey your life took. Uh, yeah, I love Houston. Houston, I come from a creative community, um, A-Leaf, Texas. There's a lot of creators who came out of here. Um, Lizzo. Um, we have a lot of great athletes. Uh, Toby is a big artist right now. Toby from the Swap. We're actually from the same neighborhood. He went to my rival high school. So it's like all, all of us kind of like A-Leaf was a real creative melting pot. But overall, growing up, I moved a lot. Um, I don't think one place really influenced my being, you know, overall. But like, I don't know, as a kid, I just kind of did everything. I used to rob stores, steal pieces. I used to, you know, paint, draw. Um, I did a lot of music. I played a lot of games, told a lot of stories. Actually, there's this corner store where I grew up on Bel Air and, um, and Winkleman. And I used to, um, they had this no, no more than two kids in the store at a time rule because of me as a child. I used to go in there. I used to jack the whole place with all the homies and shit. And I used to have this whole scheme going. So, I mean... I was a hustler, so I grew up hustling. You know, I grew up, like, I never had a job, you know what I'm saying, besides the NFL, and I ain't even like that. I don't, like, I retired because I just was tired working for people. So I ain't really want to have nobody yelling at me for no reason for some foolishness that they, they can't do themselves. Like, you can't yell at somebody to perform something that you can't perform. Coach, when the last time you caught a ball, you short-ass dude. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I ain't really, like, I ain't really like that. 
And I didn't really like having to like, like I could go right now, I get to, I walk my daughter to school every morning. Like, or I pick her up. If I'm not walking her, I'm picking her up. Like, that's the most awesome thing. I could never do that when I play. I can't, like, try to make it to a, a pickup. You half-ass do it on a Tuesday because you got to take care of your body and do all this other stuff. So, like, I'm just out here being a dad right now. We just moved back to Houston, actually. So I'm back in my hometown. I'm super excited. I never wanted to come back here as an athlete. I left as an athlete, but I wanted to come back and be able to offer my city something much, something much more than athleticism or football camps and stuff like that. So I came back here to build my new studio, Tomonoshi. When I retired, I'm just gonna tell you my backstory about where I am, cause where I was is just whatever. I'm just tell you how I got to where I'm sitting right now. So when I retired, I moved to LA. We left Chicago, moved to LA, and I opened my studio in Burbank, right down the street from Disney and Nickelodeon and everybody there. And I started my animation career full time out there. So, um, I don't know if I ever told you why I retired, because I just didn't come back to the... <laughs> I think uh, a lot of people knew. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Bill called me like in the middle of my process to retire. I was in Japan, and Bill called me one day. It's like 5 in the morning in Japan, and Bill... And then Bill I was like, hello. He's like, what are you... What, uh, yeah, hey, Martellus, it's Bill. I was like, yeah, Bill, I got your number saved in my phone. I know it's you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how, that's how technology works, fool. Like, I know. It's, I was, you think I'm going to answer the phone at 5 a.m., a number I don't know? You know what I'm saying? Hey, Bill Belichick, Patriots, right there. Everything about you right there. You know what I'm saying? You, you know. So he's like, uh, you know, you're coming up on your contract. And we. Uh, he's like, I was like, I'm in Japan. He's like, oh, you're doing more of your animation stuff out there? I was like, you know, I'm just exploring the world, Bill. And... Um, but I was on I was on a spiritual pilgrimage in um, Japan for ten days by myself, and just studying and like just oh damn there was Japanese for ten days you know what I'm saying I came in my chopsticks holding my chopsticks was like this I left that motherfucker I was like now 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 give me that give me this give me that give me that hey I caught a fly with these motherfuckers recently you know what I'm saying boom nah I got it you know what I'm saying oh yeah you can't curse on this show y'all could beep it out. <laughs> They know, they know what I'm talking about, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so no. Bill called, yeah, he called me. He was like, hey, what are you thinking for the season? I was like, Bill, I don't know yet, but you know, after I, I'm probably, I think I might retire. He was like, well, we're gonna cut you anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> your contract, we got, we got to figure out your contract. So when you make up your decision, we can have a conversation, but right now we're gonna get you, we're gonna get you off the books. <laughs> Oh man, I love that. Man, what I, I love what you said. You got tired of working to people for people. Is it like a love-hate relationship when it comes to kind of professional sports? Because at the same time you hated working for people, but football kind of granted you the huge opportunity. Uh, and obviously you could have done whatever you wanted to do, but the opportunity, the money you've made, the platform and all of that could to continue once you were done to do even greater things. So it was a kind of a love-hate relationship because it helped a lot, but at the same time, you realized from being in it for so long the things that you despise about it. I I think the number one thing that um, I, I agree, I see why that, that comes up, but being retired on the other side a lot, I don't think it really is the same as like we think when we're playing because your audience doesn't transition to you in your new life unless you're like a mm. Tom Brady or a super mega star. And I wasn't a super mega star. You know my name, but you know what I'm saying? I could, I could still go to Whole Foods and people be like, is that, 
You know what I'm saying? Tom can't go nowhere. Like these superstars, like these big names, Cam Newtons and stuff like that. I was pretty much like a in the NFL. I was probably like a A-list personality, but like, like if you thought about it, it was like you know I wasn't like the top top of the of the of the market. Like I never had a commercial. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wanted to give me a commercial. None of that shit. You know what I'm saying? I got more commercials after I retired actually than I did while I was playing because they could appreciate the whole human being. But um, I do think the number one thing I will say that I'm very grateful for the sport that I think is the main thing that will transition with you is the discipline that you've developed to be able to attack anything that you want to do. So, mm. like, you know, I think the biggest thing when players retire is the schedule. Like, right, we're very time committed. We regimen. We know what we need, want to do. So I think a lot of guys need to figure out what they want to do and just replace that schedule. Like a seven o'clock meeting can still be a seven o'clock meeting, but you just replace it with another meeting and you just kind of work your day and structure like that when you first retire. Because it's good to stay in that routine because when guys lose that routine, they lose themselves because a lot of themselves is tied to the routine. So I think the discipline of just being able to put my head down and work through things and, you know, I think I think it's better to be I think guys who weren't super superstars are better in life after the sport because you can move on from the game a lot easier than someone who, than someone else who was like a total, total big time player. Like if you have a really good career, solid career. I think it's easier for you to transition than if you were like a mega, mega superstar in your place. Um, because people, everyone reminds you of that. The hardest thing, I know this is random conversation, but the hardest thing is everybody reminding you of what you were, once were when you're trying to develop and become something else. So it's like everyone wants to take you to the past when you're moving, when you're trying to move on to something new. And it's hard for you not to go back and revisit it because everybody wants to take you there. So um, I didn't watch sports for my, I just start, got comfortable watching sports recently. I'm just talking right now. No, I haven't talked to you guys in a really long time. So I'm just kind of telling you about a lot of shit that's been going on, so. But no, uh, I think I think that's good because I think that's a side. I know me and you've talked about that, um, that people don't talk about how much other people keep you in the past. And like I think between you and Mike, your brother, I being able to play with both of you guys, you get some of you guys' unique personalities and opinions and perspectives on things. Can you even just talk about like you and Mike, like growing up together, then playing in the NFL together? Were you guys super competitive? Were you guys always cheering on that outside of football stuff that you do? Like before we jumped on, you talked about what Mike's doing now, going to school, architect. Like how was you, how are you guys' relationship growing up and even now to this day? I just first I just gotta say my Wi-Fi is so strong right now. This is amazing. But um <clears throat> but yeah, so um we're Irish twins, right? We're not twins like you guys, we're Irish twins. But we're very, very close. Michael, I talk to Michael every single day for who knows how long. Sometimes he calls me. I'm like, shit, I got stuff to do, bro. I can't be talking to you, right? Because he on Hawaii time, right? So he always calls you like in the middle of prime work hours or family time. He's like, what you doing? I'm like, I'm watching movies with my family, about to put my daughter to bed. He's like, oh, I'm about to go play tennis. This whole day just beginning, you know what I'm saying? So um, growing up, we were teammates. Like, we never really competed. If you fought Michael, you fought me. In fact... I would, like, you know what I'm saying? If I heard somebody got in a fight with Michael, even if he won, I would show up to the office just to fight the dude myself. Like, I'm going to whoop your ass, too. So now you got a double di- now you got a double dose of a bending ass whooping, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I would just, I would, we were very close, very much. I think he was, like, the only person ever that, like, like I could just work out with. Like, we push each other, we drive each other, we kind of look up, we both look up to each other. 
Uh, we lean on each other. So we've been very close growing up. We were very active. I think I was, I'm a better salesman than Michael. So Michael was kind of like this underrated underdog the majority of our life. And I was just kind of like a billboard kid because um, like I made my own highlight tapes. You know what I'm saying? I do all this cool stuff like that, you know. And, um, but we were very close. We were roommates in college. Um, we, I went to A&M because he was there. You know, there's nothing like a, a brother. Like, it's just like having a brother, like a, a good brother. Like, like, I think Michael is like the ultimate big brother. Like, protector, you know, look out for you, got your back, will come through for you. Always been that kind of guy. Like, I always say, if you ever watch this movie called Lawless with Tom Hardy and like Shia LaBeouf mm-hmm. in it, that movie's good. Because the brotherhood, like, you probably like that movie too because the brothers are like... You know what I'm saying? Michael's like Tom Hardy. I was like Shia LaBeouf, except for I ain't get my ass whooped. <laughs> nah, so no, no doubt we, about it. Hold, hold on, Jack. Can we expect some type of joint venture between you two in the future? Uh, of you got, I don't know what it would be, but doing something together? Yeah, he tried to get me to do a podcast, but lately I just haven't liked talking as much as I used to. Uh, I kind of like keeping my thoughts to myself at this point. Like, I just kind of like... I felt like I was giving the world too much of my mind and I ain't mm-hmm. really deserved that shit because my shit just, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, and other people don't really understand it. So it's just kind of like, I just haven't felt like talking. After I did, I did a TV show and a podcast when I first retired and I learned that I didn't like being on TV. I didn't like to have to show up every Thursday and talk. I wanted to be on TV on a Wednesday sometimes. Like, hey, let's shoot the show today. Every Thursday though, bro, like, that's too much, like, you got me, bro. I wouldn't do other things on my Thursdays. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had too much of that in my life. You know, like, even when I work out now, it took me a long time to discover what to do as a workout, you know, because going into the weight room, it's just, we put our bodies through so much trauma, like, you know, like, everyone talks about, like, mental health and all this shit, you know, I think in some ways mental health is overrated because a lot of people just be acting like little biatches, but, um, <laughs> but, um, like, after, like, football, it's like, you, your body's been through so much trauma, and people go to therapy for years dealing with like traumatic experiences. But like a lot of times as players, we forget to take care of our bodies and our bodies been through so much trauma over 20 years, right? You know, think about how many things. So like the first year of retirement, like it should just be about dealing with the trauma that your body's been through, you know, Mm -hmm. stretching, Pilates, not really being in there hitting it hard. So I couldn't find the balance of like lifting weights or doing this or doing that and it wasn't until this year that i really got back to like working out i wasn't gonna be one of those fat guys i didn't want to go and you know be one of those guys that play running back but also now look like a you know <laughs> a damn a damn what's some little them little russian dolls that you stuff inside each other like they just stuffed the old side one inside of him and he just <laughs> ate himself you'd be like yo you'd be like hey yo what did he eat you know what i'm saying <laughs> I ain't want to be those guys. I ain't want to be one of those guys that's like out of shape with a sexy wife either. You know what I'm saying? I ain't going to be walking in and my wife be all, you know what I'm saying? But there's another thing that guys go through too is like this self-image thing. Because you go from looking all beasty and, you know, looking in your best physique and then your body just tired. And now you get ugly and sloppy. And that has to be hard too to go from being able to jump high to not being able to jump at all. Shit. I can still dunk though, so I ain't really tripping. I mean, you're 6'5", but... How? I'm 6'7". Six, I'm six, I found Kung oh. Fu, but my workout was Kung Fu, so I do Kung Fu. But I was saying this because even when I go to the gym, I can't have like a a set like workout. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's just kind of like I just do whatever my body feels like doing. If it wants to run, I'll let it run. If it wants to do Kung Fu, I do Kung Fu. If it wants to lift, I just kind of listen to my body 
more so than trying to force my body to do some type of program that was created for not my body, but not, my, not for how my body feels, but for the work that my body can do. Did you find it difficult transitioning out? Because what you just said about kind of the TV show every Thursday, because I feel like I'm at the point, this is my 13th year, and you talk about, like, I'm, I'm sitting there talking to guys, I'm like, yeah, next year, like, I don't, I don't really know if I want to play football next year. And as you talk to people, they're like, all right, well, well what are you going to do? And I think kind of what you said is important, because I'll say to people, like, to be honest with you, I don't know. Like, I, there's a lot of ideas and different things I'm thinking about I want to do. And like you just said, the podcast, a TV show. But then I start doing it, and it's just like, hell, I don't want to be here every Thursday. Did you find it difficult with even all the things that you had going on outside of football, that once you took football away and you started doing some of these things full time, where it was just like, man, you know what? I thought I wanted to do this, but you know what? It ain't it. Because putting this much time in it, it, I don't find as much enjoyment and passion in it. 100%. Like, when I first left, I was like, I'm going to build the next Disney, right? I was, mm -hmm. I was doing the TV shows. I was writing the books. I pretty much did everything I could possibly try to do. I was writing ads for Google. And, like, I was meeting with, like, writing ads for movies. And I was, then I went from doing that. Then I started, like, you know, I made ice cream. I made chocolate. I made shoes. You know, I was just kind of making I knew I wanted to make stuff. But what I thought, how I thought it looked isn't what was best for me, right? So like, I went from having like 12 employees to not having any, but having to having three, you know what I'm saying? I didn't like managing people. I'm not mm -hmm. going to manage people. Like I'm not a, like, come take your ass, do what you gotta do, but you have to manage people in the boss role. So I had to design my business for the lifestyle that I want to live, which is just kind of like very quiet, be able to make stuff, like not have to deal with a lot of people, you know, kind of, I could work from home when I want to, I could go to the studio when I want to, I kind of schedule, I'm in control of my life, like I really like, mm -hmm. when you got to manage people, like they got to be there at seven, you got to be there at seven, you know what I'm saying, like, um, so like a lot of stuff I did, I did a TV show, I wrote the, I was doing sketch comedy, I was doing all that stuff, and I was just like, I just don't like being on TV, because Sometimes when you're on TV, if you're doing a show, you got to talk about some foolishness that I'm just not interested in at that point. Like, I don't care what, how, what Cardi B's having a baby. Like, the fuck they got to do with my life? I don't give a damn about that. But that's like the topic of the day. Like, why is this a topic of the day when there's a, like, you know what I'm saying? When the earth, when the earth is melting, you know what I'm saying? Like, why are we talking about the earth melting? Because, you know, it's on complex and these shows, they got all these things. So, but I think a problem, what you should go through, every player should go through is a, a period of self-discovery. So just take mm -hmm. some time for self-discovery because you have to rediscover yourself as a father because the relationship, now you're always in a household. Rediscover yourself as a husband because you don't have that interference of being out for so much. So you have, we have multiple relationships, right? You have the relationship with your wife. You have a relationship with your kids. And each one of those kids is an individual relationship. You have a relationship with yourself, right? And then you have the relationship of you and your wife with your kids. That's a different relationship than when it's just you with the kids. So it's like mm -hmm. you're managing all these relationships and you have to start to develop like who am I truly and what do I really want to do with my life? And the other thing is like, you don't have to be popping when you first retire, right? You could just be dead. Like I just want to devote myself to my family for and just kind of do go on this trip of self-discovery, travel, kind of just kind of bounce around. Like you don't, you made it, you save your money, you don't have to jump into anything. But a lot of times we want to show people that we're busy. Right. Like I got something else that I could offer the world besides what I just did. Right. Because that stardom and people have these expectations mm. of you to do big. And the hardest thing is to start from zero when you've been at the top of the food chain for so long, because whatever you choose to do, you're going to start down here again. So 
that turns a lot of guys off for picking things because they don't want to, they can't empty their minds and become beginners when they've already been an expert. So it's like, how do I take a beginner's mindset to everything that I'm doing in life, right? With my kids, with my, my wife, because it is all over. It's, everything is different now. Because now being in the house with your wife all the time is totally different from being in the house with your wife <laughs> some of the time, right? Like, <laughs> some people don't know their wives. That's why they get retired pretty quickly. You know, you guys have good wives. I met both your wives. Your wives are awesome, right? So, but some guys are like, dang, I, I hate this bitch. <laughs> Right, you like yo. This this what you've been doing all day while I was at work. (laughs) (laughs) But also preparing your family for retirement because they're retiring too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're retiring. I've talked to my wife about that. It's just like she kind of needs a heads up too. Like, hey, like if we're getting to the end, because like you just said, it's a lifestyle for everybody. My kids don't go to the game. I mean, my kids root against me on Sunday. Uh, I come home and my son's fired up to tell me that we lost the game, uh, which is totally opposite of what it should be. But I, I, that, that's, that's definitely 100% true. I, I had to whip his ass. Okay, yeah. you, you root for daddy. <laughs> <laughs> But before before we get too far off, let let me just give the viewers some of the football. Football was a a, it was a good part of your life. Could you just talk about, you know, and this will be a mix being in Dallas, being a rookie. You spoke about it before being behind Jason Witten, um, but also dealing with like Jerry Jones telling you, you know, focus on football. If you're a big superstar in football. It'll help what you want to do. Can you just talk about the the learning process of being an NFL player uh, and being yourself in, in Dallas? So, bro, this shit is crazy because today's NFL, I can honestly say that when I came in the NFL, now they want guys to have TikToks. They want guys mm-hmm. to have YouTubes. They want guys to be like, the, they let guys do these things because it's part of the worldly view of like what's just happening in the world. NFL's on TikTok, you know what I'm saying? When I came in, I was the first player to ever, first NFL player to ever have a deal with YouTube, right? Like no one had did a deal with YouTube before I did it, right? I was I taught Tio and Ocho Cinco how to use Twitch, not Twitch. I mean, it was called UStream, but it's just like Twitch. Yeah, UStream. Right. So, so I was one of the first people to pioneer like a lot of these spaces. I was doing like YouTube. I was doing art shows. I was in a band. Like my teammates would come watch me and my band play on Thursday nights. As a, this is what I was doing as a rookie. You know what I'm saying? So. Coaches bought art pieces for me. I used to sell art in the locker room. You know what I'm saying? So, like, a lot of guys, it's just always how it was since the beginning. But they try to not let me do that as if you had a bad game, as if, like, this stuff is why I was having a – if I had a bad game. But really, like, the idea of someone trying to control me and hold me down and not allow me to flourish as a human being and who I am, that was causing me not to be able to play well, right? Because it's like, no, you try to restrict me and not let me fully become who I want to be as a man, but who you think I should be as a man. And who you think I, w- I should be as a man is not who the hell I am. So I had a lot of pushback as my first couple of years in the league. I almost re- I, was b- I was about to retire my third year in the league. One day, I just, I just didn't go to work. I was like, man, fuck this shit. I'm done. I'm going to paint full time. I don't need this shit. This shit's stupid. I stayed home. I was playing Halo, smoking weed, and nigga chilling. And then they called my agent. They was like, yo, like... Martellus, they, they try to send somebody by the house. I was like, go away. You know what I'm saying? They knock, you know how they send the little runner, you know, whoever that is, you know. <laughs> it would have been Dana in, um, <laughs> in New England. They come knock on the door. Like, nigga, what you want? Nigga, why you at my house? You know what I'm saying? So I ain't coming to work. 
So I didn't go to work. My agent called me. He's like, oh, you got to go to work. I was like, yeah, I'm done. I don't want to do this no more. Like, it ain't for me. I got other things I want to do with my life. I quit. He's like, but you will have to give money back. I was like, I ain't even want to. I could get more money. Like, money is, to me is a tool. There's lots of ways to make money. You can't make it as fast as you do in the NFL, but there's a lot of, <laughs> but there's a lot of ways to make money. So I was about to, I didn't, I was, I didn't go to work that day. They all kept calling me, et cetera, et cetera. Then a guy named Skip Pete, who's a running back coach in um, Dallas still to this day, uh, he was like him and um, Ray Sherman. Ray Sherman was the uh, other coach. He was a great coach. Uh, they got him up out of there, though, too. Um, but they used to send the black coaches to talk to the black players in Dallas. Um, <laughs> that was a Jason Garrett thing. He couldn't really communicate with us because he went to Princeton. And I was like, he used to try to use these big words. Like, he used to come in and get a meeting and be like, we have a cornucopia of things that we're going to do in this play in our, in our offense. Like, a cornucopia. Just say we got a lot of things to go do in the playbook. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, why, why are we using these terms when we're just describing the simple? Like, the best communicators use the simplest words to communicate. Like, you ain't got to come up here. So I used to, when he used words wrong, I used to correct him all the time. Because, you know, I just walk around with a dictionary just sometimes just to <laughs> do whatever. But, yeah, so I was about to retire. Then John Kitna... Um, when I went up there, I met with him. Jerry, I went by Jerry Jones' house. I about to tell you this too, man. When I went by Jerry Jones' house, this was before Get Out. This nigga offered me tea. He's like, "Do you want some tea?" But I was 22 years old. I ain't drank tea at 22. You know what I'm saying? I just got a tea. That's an older gentleman thing. He offered me some tea. Had his old lady come out <laughs> with the tea. Now looking back at it, I'm like, "Yo, was Jerry Jones trying to get my body?" Because you know what I'm saying? He's like, "Dang, this young black stud tight end got the muscle of a trap." Jerry Joe trying to jump into my body, you know what I'm saying? I'm at his house. He taking me through his art collection. Hey, this dude owns, this dude owns half, this another rich dude named Boone Pickens. Like, he made all his money in oil. Like, a lot of stuff at Oklahoma State's named after him. But he's a Texan. But him and Jerry Jones own, like, the Texas Commerce Library. So the Texas Commerce Library, I'm always been into books. And he had all half the books. I'm like, yo, what is this? His art collection was crazy. And Jerry Jones is one of the people, like, his family, like, his love for art made me even want to get into art more. Like, that, if you go to the Cowboys mm. Stadium, they got so much art and everything in there. But, yeah, we talked for a while. I ain't drank the tea, though, so that's probably why I'm here today. That's why you made and it out. I made it out, you know what I'm saying? When he was like, run. That was me in the mirror, you know what I'm saying? But uh, this nigga driveway was marble. I'm like, bro, you got a marble driveway? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this one looked like when you really get in money. So anyway, so John Kitna, I, I ended up going to John Kitna, and John Kitna was like, look, Martellus, you got like a year and a half here. Just stick with me. And he was like, just keep doing You're going to be one of the best tight ends in the NFL. This is not the place for you. You just got to do what you got to do to get out of here. And there's a couple of teams trying to trade for me then, but they wouldn't trade for me. And then I, did, I stuck with Kitna. And even when I played with the Patriots, I would do a lot of scout team stuff. And that was because I developed that habit as a young player to go do scout team even when I didn't have to. So John Kittner would be like, yo, go be Vincent Jackson. I'm going to just throw you the ball every single time. So I'm like, hell yeah, I go be Vincent Jackson. And I kind of learned how to play and do different things by emulate all these other players. Like they have these certain moves, like the snatch pull that B. Marshall do. Like they'd be like, hey, can you just, just snatch them and pull them when you do your route? So I learned all these different techniques by mimicking so many different players on the practice squad. But anyway, so yeah, I left Dallas and I became a starter in New York. And I always say in Dallas, you could be a horse, but in New York, you could be a unicorn. And that's when I became the black unicorn. So that was my first year as a starter. I balled. They didn't want to pay me, so I left. Then I went to, then I went to Chicago and balled. And I was too much of a nigga for them, so they traded me. And then I ended up in um, 
then I ended up in um, New, New England. England. New England, I won a championship. Then I made a dumbass. Then I made a dumbass. What was the process like of being traded? Like, did you know about it? Where were you? Like, what was that process like? Bro, first of all, I'm one of the few players that experienced all of the NFL, right? Like, I have had medical staff lie on me, like, lie and shit like that. I've been traded. I've been cut. I've been discarded. I won a Super Bowl. I was the best at my position. I was at the bottom of my position. I was a backup. I was a starter. You know what I'm saying? Like, I experienced mm -hmm. the totality. All these different coaches, these different minds, different quarterbacks. I experienced the entire – I got in arguments with the damn league. You know what I'm saying? I did all of it. Getting traded was like – I was at Disney World. I remember I was at Disney World. It was like around my birthday. They trade niggas around my birthday every year. And, you know, I'm out here with Goofy and hanging out with everybody. And, and you know, I get a call. And it's like, hey, this is Bill Belichick. I actually was – you know, he's like, oh, this we just traded for you. I was like, wait, what? Well, no, actually, I was, in the, I was house shopping in L.A., and they called me, and they was like, oh, we just traded for you. And I was like, oh, okay. Then I was still with the Disney World, because I didn't know what that meant. Like, okay, y'all traded for me, so what? Okay, cool, I'm going to be a patriot. You mm -hmm. know, I kind of knew it was coming because, you know, John Fox has been a little bitch about everything. And, you know, and then Ryan Pace, he didn't really like, they didn't really like Alpha the Dogs, because I'm not the type of leader who do what the coaches think is right. I'm the type of leader to do what I think is right by the people I'm leading. Like I don't really, mm -hmm. I don't work for the, or, I don't work for the organization. I work for my, I work for the people, the players, right? You know what I'm saying? Like you can't call me upstairs and be like, hey, we need this guy. I don't give a fuck coach. The guy do with me, that's y'all job. And, and, no I doubt don't, about it. Yeah, like no I, don't doubt about he, it. I don't care if he go out every night, he, he practicing well. Like he looked good yesterday, so shit. That's what he gotta do. I don't care if he got six baby mamas, they ain't none of my business, shit. Can he tackle? Can he catch? Can he make the block? Okay, like, well, get out of his life. And then I hate it when coaches used to try to be somebody daddy. Like, nigga, I don't need no dad. I got a dad. Like, I don't need no white savior. All these coaches try to be white saviors and shit to, like, young black men. They see you with tattoos and shit. Like, I don't need no daddy. I don't need no father figure. Nigga, I'm 20. I'm 26, nigga, at this point. Like, what the hell? it's too late. <laughs> it will be too late anyway. <laughs> Shit, don't make me call my dad up here to whoop your ass. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of shit I'm on. But yeah, so getting traded was kind of, uh, it kind of out of the blue. So then I got traded. I found out I got traded. Then my daughter's birthday right around my birthday. So I'm like, yo, we're going to Disney World. World. So now they called me. And it's like, hey, you got to come to New England. I was like, I can't come to New England. I'm at Disney World. Y'all, that sounds, he's like, well, you have to come in for physical. I was like, I ain't asked to be traded. That's, a, that's, that's on y'all. Y'all decided to do this. I'll come when I have time. This off season anyway. So, you know what I'm saying? And then it's like, oh, it don't work like that. I was like, I don't know how it works. I just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't about to just end my day at Disney World to fly all the way across the country to Boston to get MRI. Shit. So anyway, I ended up flying. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up going, but it was like after like five phone calls. And then Tom called me. I was like, Tom, they say I got to come up there. And Tom was like, yeah, it's kind of how it works. It's like, how you know, Tom? You never, been, you never been traded in your life. You you've been considered a goat for fifteen years of your career. That's a whole different lifetime, bro. Yeah. Shit. So, um, but like you, I played on a lot of different teams, and it's kind of you got to come in, meet new people, and getting used. To, like the only thing about getting traded or going to a new team is having to prove yourself all over again. Yeah. Like, that just get tiring. It's just kind of like, man, on my last team, they knew I was nice. I ain't got to come out here. Now I got to try to overcompensate in some ways and go above and beyond, show up to the weight room. Like, you know, usually, like, if they don't show up to the weight room, they know you working out. 
because teams got to they're familiar with your your habits and how you show up and stuff like that now you got to go to all the damn meetings and take notes and ask questions and show that you care and shit it's just kind of like you know i was kind of when i went to yeah that's that was like the hardest part the other thing too is like uprooting your family right like taking your family different places and you have multiple kids and your wife and they got to make new friends it's like because it's just not it's not just you it's everybody so mm-hmm. trying to find schools where to eat you know where not to go so you don't get shot all that kind of stuff <laughs> Now, Revis recently went on a podcast, I Am Athlete, and said his time in New England didn't like it. No one in the locker room liked it. Wasn't a big fan of, of Bill Belichick. You won a Super Bowl there, like you said. If you had to characterize your time in New England, enjoyed it, hated it, what, what are your thoughts? Oh, it was the best year of my NFL career. All the other years, like, I never had a year, like, of so much fun and just so much no bullshit. Every single coach would be lying and shit. You know they lie. You can see the lies coming through their teeth. Like, it's just lie, lie, lie. That's not plaque. That's lie. That nigga just spit, they spitting lies. You know what I'm saying? Like, that shit was annoying. But, like, in New England, it was like all they really cared about is, like, do you play football and can you get the job done? It was no nothing. Like, the hard, working hard to me wasn't uh, ain't a thing. Like, coming to practice, working, whatever. It, that's just part of it. You kind of work. If you're a hard worker, you work hard no matter where you are. But a lot of times mm-hmm. people who are superstars... The real big superstars, they don't have to work hard. But that's not the thing. So a lot of superstars wouldn't like the Patriots because the Patriots, they don't care if you're a superstar. They still expect you to work hard. Like, you're not going to just get a Friday off because you, cause you're a vet. Like, they ain't no, like, if that happens, like, shit, when that does happen, you kind of like, am I getting cut tomorrow? Because if they let you off, <laughs> they like, does he not want me to practice so I don't get hurt? You know what I'm saying? So... I mean, the guys were great. It was like one of the most, it was the most team I've ever been a part of. Like I've been a lot of, um, on a lot of places, but they weren't teams. Um, mm. I think the two places I played that were teams were uh, New York uh, and, and New England. Like they were just like, it was a team. Um, the guys were good. Like football was good. There, there was a top class organization. The fans were great. Like, and I, they didn't really, I guess for me, they didn't try to tame me or try to make me something I wasn't, right? Because that would have been, but I think they kind of understood that once they did their psychological evaluation of me. They was like, yeah, we just I like this nigga. Do whatever you want to do, just as long as he don't get outside of the Just play football. <laughs> yeah, just play football and everything else he does, just not bother him about those things. And that's kind of like mm-hmm. what happened out there. Like, I was excited when I came back after I got cut. It was like going home. I was like, everybody here. It's like I just left for the summer, so... Then I got, but that wasn't, I shouldn't, that was a whole fucked up situation. Yeah, I felt the same. I mean, that was my 10th year when I got to New England. And those three seasons up until that point was by far the most fun I had throughout my career. I mean, bro, we won games. Like, there's nothing more fun than winning and then enjoying it with the guys you're doing it with. So I'm with you 100%. I mean, we we won, the first year there, we won the Super Bowl. Like, it it doesn't get any better than that. Bro, we lost two games. One of them was because Jimmy Garoppolo was being a bitch. And then and try to quit, he quit before us on the last. Decided not to play right before the game, so we went out there. Jacob, Jacoby came out and played with a fucked up thumb and gave his played his heart out. But Jimmy was just being a bitch about it all, and he's still being it. Like that's why he you can't win with a bitch for a quarterback. First of all, so like that was the whole thing with him. He didn't want to come out and like do anything because his agent was trying to protect his body or some shit like that. Which I can't fault him for that. But like nigga, you should have made that decision on Thursday. Now on Sunday, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, so he not going out there. So Jacoby strap up, and we lost to the Buffalo Bills, which we shouldn't have lost. It was just, 
you know, the last minute, try to make adjustments for what Jacoby could do. And we lost to the, the Seahawks, but the Seahawks loss was a really good game. Like, you know, when you lose a really good game, it don't really bother you. You'd be like, hey, man, we just had 30 more seconds. We could have won it. Like, those are, the, those yeah, are good we'll games. We'll get them next game. time. Yeah, that's a we'll get them next time game. And those are good because you look forward to playing them next time. And then sometimes you get these losses where it's just kind of like, dang. <laughs> like I don't know what what like this like y'all losing to Jacksonville right y'all lost to Jacksonville recently like losing to Jacksonville has to hurt it's like how are we the team to lose to Jacksonville like everybody else Jacksonville has lost thirty games in a row and we're gonna be the one to break the thirty game losing streak like come on man nobody wants to lose to Jacksonville Urban Myers up there trying to get his trying to get his meat wet in Ohio skipping practices and shit. Try to get with them young things. Talking about he go and visit some grandkids. Grandkids. Yeah, he visit somebody else's grandkids. <laughs> Yo, as as we're all football topics. Uh, last football topic. What was your take on the whole Gruden uh, situation? Um, with the emails coming out and, and uh, not to dive too deep into it. We don't got all day. Um, but just was your opinion of seeing that um, and, and what you thought of it, Bruh. I didn't really get into it because I've just been busy writing these books and these movies and shit. But I'm not surprised these racist motherfuckers are all through the NFL. When I said the NFL was racist, everybody looked at me like I was crazy. But what's in the darkness will always come to light. And I ain't going to church in this thing right now, but I know these fools. I've dealt with them, right? I've had a coach, you know, like tell me like, hey, you know, like. I, I, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen racism play out in like multiple ways. I've seen these people. These are people of power that have been in power for so long that they never really get challenged once they build a name within the league. It's like they try to protect them, try to do no different from how they do CEOs of different companies. Like CEOs be doing shit like John Lasseter over there writing Disney movies, touching on all the women in the building. Like, come on, man, this fool right here just touching on everybody while making the Pixar film. So like, you know, like a lot of times people try to like think all these men are like great men because of what they're doing or how it looks on the outside, but their insides are ugly as shit. Like there are a lot of these people are just ugly people in charge of a beautiful game. So, like, a lot of people want to look past the ugliness that's going on, but this nigga got emails back for years and years and years and years and years. I say you go through all the coaches' emails, you'll find a bunch of shit. Nah, very true. Um, we appreciate you being on. We want to just hit uh, what's next for you. What's the next thing? Uh, we know you're doing a lot of different things. You're, you got a new company coming out in Houston. Um, what are some of your plans? And I, so you know, I did, I did get this. There's a unicorn in my backyard, and you signed my copy, but it wasn't personalized. But I, I'm not gonna hold that against you. Um, but what, what's fully next uh, uh, for you, and how you see your life going? Yeah. So, I've, what I'm trying to get to the point of like, I want to just exist, right? Like, I'm not really trying to be like. You know, like, I don't really want to be famous. I don't really want to be a lot of things. I really want my characters to live full lives. Like, you know, so I've been trying to find ways to exist and have my work, you know, like legacy. Like, you know, you talk about legacy and like, I think sports legacies are kind of skewed because, you know, it's just tied to single individual, right? Like if your legacy is in a sport that a like that's an individual legacy, but we talk about a family legacy, right? Something that could be passed on, passed down, right? Um, <clears throat> what is that going to be like? What are, what are people going to say about you at your funeral? 
you know, when people have to write their the obituary, like what's the words they're going to use to describe you? And like, what is it that what's my life's work? Right. Like, I don't think a sport can be your life's work as a player because it's only a short period of your life. Right. The average career is three and a half years. The average human being is 72 years, 72 years. Well, if you're black, it's probably like 23. Um, they out here shooting niggas. And um, <clears throat> so. <laughs> So, but <laughs> that's kind of fucked up to say that way, but it's true. I know. <laughs> but uh, so, like, developing my life's work, my character. So, like, how is it, you know, the next stage for me is experiential design. Like, I've made games, I've made apps, I've made toys. So, it's like, what's the experience that I want to design that goes around my work? So, I'm, right now, I'm in a lot of experiential design and... Um, and play. So I decided to dedicate my life to solving the crisis of imagination. And to do so, I developed this design philosophy, which is called sophisticated play design, because I don't believe that you can solve the crisis of imagination without giving people ways or things to play with. I think play is the source of imagination because uh, it takes imagination to play. The, the, so the crisis, crisis of imagination. What is that? So the crisis of imagination is what what is reason why the world doesn't change, right? Because people lack the imagination to see the world differently, different for themselves, different from others. Like, why does someone else getting these rights bother you as if their world is changing for you when the world is changing for someone else? Doesn't mean that your world is getting worse. It's the lack of imagination. Or the lack of mm -hmm. imagination could be why someone decides to stay in a job that they no longer want to be in because they lack the imagination to see themselves somewhere else, right? So, like... If you're thinking about like what's next, it's like that comes to the power of imagination, right? And I think athletes have strong powers of imagination because you visualize yourself becoming an NFL player, which is harder to do than almost anything else. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a very slim number of people to really become an athlete. You have to imagine yourself there Sundays. Like, you have to do the work because you could imagine what's the outcome can be by doing these things, right? So it's like the crisis of imagination is what holds the world back from making a positive change because the leadership lacks imagination. And that's probably so our president's like 85 years old. What the fuck is he imagining these days, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so it's like, it's, um, so imagination is the key, it's the only thing that could create solutions. Without imagination, we cannot create solutions. So by taking arts and crafts and all these different ways to play away from children, then we are, we also are dictating how many solutions can possibly created, be created for the problems that we make of today. So I always think of people in two categories, right? You're either a problem solver or you're a problem maker. And I think about this for my daughter, right? Because you even leaving problems for my daughter to have to solve, her and her classmates will have to solve it later on in their lives, or you're solving problems that they won't have to deal with later on in their lives. So I personally want to be someone who makes the world a more colorful place. And my life's work is tied to solving the crisis of imagination using this de design philosophy I created over the years, which is called sophisticated play design. And it's, it's really about designing things and play all playfulness always being present in the products that I design, but also these products have to allow play or inspire play, right? So, um, so that's kind of like what I am doing every single day. It's pretty fun. I draw, I paint, I write, I read. Um, I get to work with a lot of children. Um, so it's just about, and, and the other thing too, to back up about this about play is that when people think of play, they only think about it for children, right? Mm -hmm. But 
adults need to play, right? Because adults are the ones just usually causing the problem. I don't know too many problems that the children are out here really cause. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, ain't no kids blowing up the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are adults making these decisions. But these adults were also once children, right? Like, Shakespeare had, like, Shakespeare was a kid at one point. Could you imagine having him in your class? <laughs> like, oh, Shakespeare, was, like, imagine growing up and telling your grandkids, like, oh, Shakespeare was a classmate of mine, man. You should have seen this fool, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like, you know, but if we could remind each other to be playful, right? And I think that's one thing about sports. As you get older, you remain playful because you get a lot of young youth and you're playing the game, right? But there's also the serious factor that goes into it. So, like, I also learned that my entire life was built around play, right? I played sports. I played games. I played everything I did in my entire life was built around the, this idea of play. So, like, even, too, like, you know, like, learning a playbook. Like, I just saw, like, Nikhil Murray, Harry, whoever his name is. You know, this nigga can't get lined up or something. I was like, hey, he don't know the playbook yet. I learned a playbook in, like, three months. Like, what are we doing here, right? But anyway, I'll talk about these playbooks because football, there's these systems, Right, you develop these systems. And when I started doing game design, it was easy because it was like, yo, all I'm doing is designing a playbook, right? I've seen playbooks done so many times. Video game design is just like the system that you put in place. It's like designing a playbook in the NFL. It's actually the easiest thing I've learned to do because of my time in sports. It was like, I could just translate things like, you know, like if I'm building a video game, if I want somebody to be able to go two directions, it's like, all right, I need to create a situation for a hot route. Right. So mm -hmm. what would create the hot route in the split of the video game? You go up and down. So it's just like these things. But like solving the crisis of imagination is pretty much what I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing. And I'm looking forward to it. I got a new um, new series, more books. I have about 25 books written right now. Um, I got my, my first games coming out next year. My first uh, game I, and I built a new card game um, like Pokemon. So I've been building card games, too. Uh, I want to get in on that action. And I run the Unicorn in Your Backyard book that you have right there, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Actually, I make the best books, all my, pipe, all my paper, sustainable materials, all these things. So, Because if we destroy the world with the products we make, right, then how can we have a world to play in? So I have to think about if we're going to play, then we also got to think about the planet that we play in. Um, sorry, this is people probably like, damn, how the hell did he start talking like this? Damn, <laughs> damn, it's like this, like cafeteria talk right here. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, so like, you know, sustainable products and all these different things and design and playfulness and color and wonder is kind of what I, is what I want to add to, to the world. And, um, and that's what I do every day. I work very hard at it. Um, it's, it's a dream of mine and it, and it, and it varies. It looks differently. I don't think that. Like, I don't want to be Disney, right? Like, I don't want to be, I just want to be what I become. So I used to, like, emulate things, and then I found my own voice and my own vision, and then now I just kind of do my own thing, and I kind of, it makes me really happy. So, yeah. I love it. Before we let you get out of here, we want to play a little game, five questions, would Marty rather? So five questions. First one, would Marty rather have skin that changes color based on your emotions or tattoos appear all over your body depicting what you did yesterday? What, man? <laughs> I think, I don't, I don't. You, you so, gotta so, just answer. Yeah, so like Maui would be your, like Maui from Moana. Yep. He, had, he yep. had tattoos of all everything that he did yesterday. Um, skin changing color could be really cool, but I really like being black. So I'm gonna go to being um, the, the tattoos of yesterday my stories. 
Alright, would Marty rather be in the history books for something terrible or be forgotten completely after you die? I mean, the worst thing to be, I'd rather do something terrible than to be forgotten. Like, to have a life of that no one remembered and to be non-existent, like, that would be horrible. Like, God damn, nigga, nobody remember anything you did, and that goes back to legacy. Right? No doubt. No doubt. Here's a phone phone for you. Would Would Marty rather run 100 miles per hour or fly 20 miles per hour? Definitely fly, because running sounds tiring. <laughs> what would Marty rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader? Shit. I mean, breathing, I don't know if anybody want to be around you if you breathe like Darth Vader. Like, I can't see how people in a movie could just be around a dude breathing like that all the time. Like, goddamn, bro. Like, I got pulled. I used to, I had this roommate in college named Marlon Pompey. Not my, my basketball roommate. When we was traveling, I had this dude named Marlon Pape. He's from Canada. He's a black dude from Canada. I didn't know they had black people in Canada at this point. Right? This is my first time meeting a black Canadian. Right? He's my roommate. And he played basketball. He's on the basketball how team. Many, how, many, how many white Canadians had you met? Quite a few. Yeah. Okay. Qu- quite a few. I just never met a... Uh, this, he was the first one. This was in college. This was like, I was still young. I ain't been to Canada. You know, now, you know, I go, you know, I'd be everywhere now. You know, they call me World, Mr. WW Dot, World Wide Web. You know, so, but anyway, so this dude, they, I didn't know why they, I was like, man, first of all, when I was on, in football, I didn't have a roommate. I'm that guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I by myself, right? Whatever. So I get in the room with this guy, and it's like, oh, yeah, you got Marlon Pompey, and everybody's like so excited, whatever. Man, this nigga's sleeping in. <laughs> I swear to God, I came out the room, I said, Coach, if I don't get out this room with this dude, I'm going to suffocate him tonight because I can't deal with this shit. So I just thought about him because of the Darth Vader thing because he was breathing like that in the middle of the night. And he had, like, bro, I was like, bro, don't you got a mouthpiece or some type of oxygen thing you need to put on your face? Like, it's like, yeah, but it's just uncomfortable. Well, me listening to you is uncomfortable. So you're going to have to be uncomfortable because I ain't going to be uncomfortable because if I'm uncomfortable, I'm whipping ass. Like I was, I was really like I was an NBA draft in high school. So like basketball was like I was the number one football, number one basketball player in Texas. Like you know what I'm saying. So I was an NBA draft in high school. So when I started going to A and M to play basketball, I used to bust his neck. I used to bust their ass. You know, I was getting buckets, and I'll talk shit in football because you never know when you're gonna get the ball. But in basketball, I know what I could do with the ball in my hand. I could go take it from somebody if I wanted. You know, I get a rebound, dribble it all the way down the court and shoot it. I'd be out there all day running all these routes, and they never throw it to me, and they make some type of excuse. Right, like, they, oh, the offensive, I got to depend on this offensive lineman. I mean, he missed his block when I get open, so I don't even get the ball this time because this fool. So that make me want to punch people in the face. But in basketball, you could just take it. Hey, pass me the ball, fool, or get a rebound, steal it. You could take control of the game. You can't take control of a football game. You got to depend on too many people. That's why football is the ultimate sport. Yep. So, and I was like, oh, so I live to fight another day, right? And I, but I want to go tell my brother. I'm like, man, I'm not going to get my brother because we're at the same university. So I want to go get the football team, the defensive end. So I run all the way to the football, <laughs> the football door. And I'm like, yo, these basketball dudes try to jump me. And I, my brother's like, where? So he's like knocking on all the other roommates' doors. Like, hey. And it was during basketball camp. We go down to the cafeteria. They're in the cafeteria, right? Like uh, doing like the lunch in. I come in. My brother's throwing stuff off the table. I'm throwing off. Hey, it was him. Now what? Everybody, we fighting everybody. So then the basketball coaches kind of got in between us or whatever, but I wouldn't have got my boys right there. So fast forward, later turned the season, we got this seven-foot dude named Antonis Cavalaskis. He's from Lithuania. He's the first person I ever met from Lithuania, by the way. He's like seven-foot-one. And we got this whole day where Coach Gillespie had this thing where they don't call fouls, right? And I'm like, yo, 
um, they fouling. You know, when you first come back from football, it's hard to finish because you don't have that touch or around the basket. If someone foul you, uh-huh. you ain't going to make the shot. Like, it's just like, oh, I, you just throw it. So he's like, oh, you keep missing layups. Run a lap. I said, coach, they fouling. Wow, they ain't not foul. You strong. You missed the football. You missed the football. You could take it. So I said, look, coach, the next person that's going to foul me, I'm slapping the shit out of him. Then this dude, Antonis Cavaleskis, seven-footer, he walks up and put the ball back into my back. And like on a Schwarzenegger, he go, you're not going to slap anybody. I turn around. I had to jump a little bit. I turned around, had to jump like Mike Tyson punch out. I turned around, I just smacked the shit out of him. Bow! <laughs> the ball dropped and bounced. It's known as the slap hurt around campus. I slapped <laughs> him so hard, everybody was in shock. They didn't know what to do. My handprint was, my handprint probably still across his face. His kids probably said, Daddy, what's this? He's like, oh, that's Martellus Bennett's handprint. He smacked the shit out of me one day. So anyway, that's a random story. So anyway, the AC Law says something. And AC Law, he went to the NBA. I said, AC Law, you want to get slapped too? Who else want? Who else want? I slap everybody in here right now. I just have a slapathon. How about that? Everybody gets slapped. This is a slapathon. And, you, and you stayed. And you stayed on the team the whole the whole year. So yeah. So I coach sent me home. He's like, get out of here. Sir. But he called me later on that night. He was like, I like that shit. We need more of that. That's kind of enforcer we need on our team. Yeah. He's like, just don't do, just don't do it to our teammates no more. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, coach, I got you. I'm the dog. You know what I'm saying? This fool. One more story about him. I'm about to enter the NBA, NFL draft now at this point in college, and I get this random call on like a, a Friday, Friday afternoon, and it's the basketball coach at A&M. By this time, I'm not even playing basketball no more. He's like, what you doing tonight? It's like, I don't know, coach. I, I plan on coming to the game. Y'all play UT tonight. He's like, yeah. He's like. You know, they got this kid named Kevin Durant. He's a really good player. I was like, yeah. He's like, um, can you suit up and guard him? I said, Coach, you want me to suit up and guard Kevin Durant? I haven't played basketball in eight months. You want me to go out there and guard Kevin Durant on a random-ass night? Nigga, after I'm trading for the NFL? I considered it. I called my agent. I was like, yo, they want me to go play basketball tonight and guard Kevin Garnett. I think it adds to my legacy, right? It's just one of those things. It's a very legend story of mine. So he was like, ah, oh, don't do it. There's this big thing that says that you only play in football because you couldn't make it in basketball. What? I was in the NBA draft in high school. I can't make it in basketball. So anyway, I didn't do it. But I wanted to. That was to. an adult, though. Well, man, I know I've been telling y'all a bunch of stories. I don't know if this is a good podcast for y'all or not. No, nah, it was solid, bro. I ain't talked to you in a while. This, is, this, is, this gives me a glimpse into retirement. I ain't playing football next year. So this is, this is, this is some good bro. conversation. If you feel like you shouldn't be playing, like if you feel like you're at that point, I think a lot of times people are scared of the unknown. Yeah. But your entire well, your whole enti- your entire life has been in the unknown. No, nah, it's true. I mean, Thank- la- I didn't I didn't like the season last year, so I wanted to play this year. But I knew there was a good chance going into this year. Like I was like, yo, I want to play this year, but this might be it. And then as the season's gone, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna enjoy this lot because I feel like it's almost peaceful if you go into the last year and you treat it and knowing like let me make the most of this because i don't plan on doing it again so i, I can kind of so. be at peace with that i think it's different when you get re- when the game retires you yeah. versus you retiring the game see i kind of feel like that my last year was injury ridden so it's like mm-hmm. you know at some points i felt like when i first retired it's like should i go back and go out with a bang because it's like that last year just doesn't represent yeah, my body yeah. of work but then i was just kind of like uh, that's just that's just the life of the game. There's no reason to put myself through this one more time when I know it's not what I want to do for my ego, right? Because it was like, oh, that's all ego 
versus yeah, like yeah, what I yeah. actually needed. So I think if like retirement to me has been, it's been getting better as every year goes by. I think the first year I was really busy. I kept myself really busy doing a lot of different things, but now I'm kind of like slowing down and doing less. Was that, was that a good thing for you? It, I, I don't know. I don't know if it was a good thing. Yeah. It's just, I just had so many things that I wanted to do that I was yeah. just kind of like, I almost had a yes year. They were like, hey, you want to do this? I was like, yeah, I do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I was just doing stuff and um, and it was fun. I did a lot of cool stuff, but then I also discovered all the stuff that I didn't want to do. It's like, ah, oh, that was cool, but I don't want to do that. Like, that you know, so. Now, our last question. Would Marty rather visit the International Space Station for a week or spend a week in a hotel at the bottom of the ocean? God damn, that's tough. Mm. I mean, the bottom of the ocean, though, fool? Like, you know, that's kind of crazy. That's scary-ass shit down there. You know, we know more about space than we know about the ocean. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to go with the ocean. Go figure it out. I think I'll go with the ocean. You know, being from, our ancestors being from Africa and the majority of mermaids being from Africa with Mama Water and everything, I feel like I'd be safe. Man, you know a lot about a lot. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hey, man, it's, it's been an honor <laughs> to talk to you. We appreciate you coming on the show, man. Looking forward to all the great things that you have uh, coming up. I can't wait. I mean, I'm excited to learn about what you're doing uh, for Imagination. For me, myself, for my three children, just to be able to have those discussions and kind of challenge them uh, to be creative and to see the things that they possibly can come up with when all doors and windows are open to them for opportunity. So, man, good luck and look forward to the great things you got coming. All right, man. You guys, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You guys, I love you guys as brothers. You know, I respect the brother relationship as my brother and I have a close relationship. So uh, I like the McCordys. I don't like a lot of people, but the McCordys are good in my book. Hey, same with the Bennett's, man. I'll <laughs> at you. All right. <laughs> Now let's hit our Dan O'Brien keeping it awesome moment of the week. It's going out to Philadelphia's own Lane Johnson. Uh, he's back with the Eagles after a two-week absence where he said he needed personal time kind of to take care of himself, address his mental health, and not sure exactly what he had going on. But I think it kind of shines a light on what's kind of happened in our society over the last several years. And whether it's athletes, whether it's performers, whether it's your everyday uh, working person, but actually taking the time to address themselves and to take care of themselves and kind of credit to Lane Johnson for being able to step out and feel comfortable in that space to do so, because it's not often uh, that you see, especially in the NFL, we don't have the 82 games like the NBA or a hundred and some games like major league baseball. We only get six now 17 chances. So him taking that time off to make sure that he's okay. I mean, credit to him and his family and, uh, prayers to him and hope everything's good now that he's back and uh, wishing him uh, luck as he continues to try to finish out the season and remain uh, healthy, both physically, emotionally, uh, and spiritually. So appreciate you guys for tuning in to another episode of Double Coverage with the McCourty Twins. J-Mac here, D-Mac on the left. Make sure you guys take the time to hit that subscribe button, whether it's YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, all of those great things. You guys know that you can catch us each and every week right here. And thank you again to Marty Martellus Bennett, a.k.a. Mr. Tamagashi. I think that's how you say it, for joining the show. We will see you guys next week. <laughs>